0: about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hi, everybody. It is Wednesday night, which means it is Friends in Fiction night. And we are so glad that you're here because tonight I am hosting and we are going to welcome the astounding author, Marisa De Los Santos. I am Patty Callahan-Henry.
0: I'm Mary Alice Monroe.
1: I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel.
0: And I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. And
1: we have an amazing night in store tonight. We are diving into the world of Marisa de los Santos. We're gonna hear about the cross-section between poetry and fiction. We're gonna talk about where stories begin, where they come from, and we're going to gather around the warm bonfire of each other and talk about how do we get through these winter blahs? And of course, we are not gonna let Marisa get away without a writing tip. So Marisa, be before we
2: before we dive in, um, we wanted to shout out a, our amazing sponsor, Mama Geraldine's, and tell them thank you so much. Um, I actually just posted on Instagram, my boys love Wednesday nights as much as I do because we have dinner late, so that means that we get to have Mama Geraldine's snacks before. Um, I'm a big fan of the gluten-free aged cheddar cheese straws. That's what I was eating tonight they were having the key lime cookies, which Will loves because he gets to eat cookies before dinner. So what could be better than that? Um, so please don't forget to use the code FAB5 to get 20% off of your Mama Geraldine's order. And um, they're just the best. So if you haven't tried them, make sure you do.
1: And welcome, Marisa. You blew Yay. onto the scene. <laughs> Welcome, to oh, We're so glad you're here. Hello. So glad. You. you blew onto the scene with And Love Walked In in 2005. And your new book, I'd Give Anything, just came out this May. And we are going to be talking about it. But you're in Delaware right now, right? Yes. We'll is it, it freezing? Is it cold?
3: Is it, it, it is. It is actually really cold. We've had um, a mild winter so far and we haven't had much snow at all. Um, there was some talk of snow now, but Definitely. I think it went in some other direction, but it's cold and damp and that kind of cold that gets in your bones. So right. we're still spending tons of time outside, which is what we've done for the here. Um, but we are bundling up, really like four layers. Um, I mean, my son, who's a, who's twenty one, wears shorts sometimes. But I wear multiple layers and a, you know, ten pound jacket. And <laughs> <laughs> I usually look like
1: an Eskimo. So, how are you getting <laughs> through the winter blues? How are you? Do you get them? How do you beat them?
3: Um, you know, this year's different. From, from other years, I usually spend, I feel like, as much time as possible in the winter in um, my friends' kitchens um, while they cook, talking, glass of wine, a lot of um, cozy, low-key, family, friends type of stuff. This year, less of that. Um, We are, but what one thing that I think has really gotten us through um, this, and is still even in the in the winter, getting us through is just being outside as much as we can. Um, Long hikes. uh, We have lots of beautiful green space um, in Delaware and just over the line in in Chester County, Pennsylvania. So we've been outside a lot um, and and nights by the fire pit under the sky um are, are that's that's i think what what gets us through always but especially now when i can't be in my friend's kitchen while she makes spaghetti sauce and we talk and you know mm-hmm. eat lots of cheese i am eating lots of cheese but not <laughs> yeah that's <Okay. laughs> the best
1: feeder of it <laughs>
0: Well, I have to say, for me, um, it, it's, you're doing absolutely the right thing, Marisa, because the sunlight is such makes such a big difference. I suffer from what a lot of people call um, have, and it's called seasonal affective disorder. It's it's really quite common. It's they call it sad, which is a seasonal it's brought on by the change of seasons yeah so it starts usually in the fall and it goes all through the winter Mm. and it's different than winter blahs it's more a Mm. um it's a mild form of depression actually yeah and so the best way to fight it is to get outdoors just like you were saying marisa Mm. yeah i have these um full spectrum lights that you can put up in your office and turn on and sit under it, and it actually helps a lot. But just getting outside, and I think with COVID, so many of us are staying inside all the time now or not going out like we used to, just right. getting in the car and going somewhere. Yeah. So you you gave the right prescription, Marisa. Mm-hmm. Get outdoors and get that sunshine on you. Even if you go to the front porch and you sit on
3: in a chair and read a book for a little while, Yeah, that'll help. It makes a huge difference. It does. I think you that know, saves us, saved us from, you know, strangling each other and yeah. <laughs> at home for much of the time. And um, and all of us just that that's what helps all of us. So we're outside. We're moving, not moving. It really doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And it, the cold doesn't bother me as much as the gray. So yeah. if it's a blue sky day, I'm going to spend all day out there if I can. Yeah. You know, working out there, whatever. Even if um, it's it's cold, um, gray skies are what get me. So the lights all around, I can see how that would be a huge help. Yeah.
4: Well, I'm a Leo, and I find myself following the sun around my house, looking for that, <laughs> looking for that, looking for that splash of light. With my laptop. I'm like a cat. Um, (laughs) And so I follow around the house with with my laptop and I'll, you know, cozy in a corner with the sun splashing on me. But when it gets really dark and gray in Atlanta, especially in February... I get in my car and run away to Florida. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the ticket.
5: Well, which is a perfect segue into what I do, which you guys, it's live in Florida all the time. <laughs> I've stumbled upon the secret. Don't, don't all come at once, but I'm telling you, like, um, I, I, realize, Sean might just boot me off the broadcast right now when I say this, but you guys, it was like 82 degrees today. So yeah, we hate you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You know. Rained all day um, here. But I I mean, tomorrow it's going to be like sixty-five. So no, I um, it, I, 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 I assume that sound was Mary Kay purring like a cat in the corner. I just heard a purr. Um, No, it it uh, it, I, you know. Honestly, I have a harder time in the middle of summer. I I, I love being outside Mm and in Florida in the winter, this is the perfect time to do it. You know, we have some days like today that are 80. We have other days that are in the fifties, but the weather's usually very pleasant. Um, And in the middle of summer, when you guys are all enjoying the weather, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I
2: can't wait for the winter to get here. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit opposite for me. Yeah. And I'm in coastal North Carolina, so we don't, we don't have that many like freezing cold days, but we're actually supposed to get some wintry mix tonight, but I'm laughing at what everyone is saying because um, my husband called, we have this window in our third floor of our house and he calls it my kitten window because it's always light. like it's just all the sunlight is there and I go and like curl up and read and, um, but I think getting outside, like just everybody else said, um, but it'll be like 65 and I have on like a vest and a parka and I came out
3: for a walk
2: this afternoon and it was, it was probably 60 and Will looked at me and he was like, people have climbed Mount Everest in less than what you have on right now. <laughs> but I just, I hate to be cold. So yeah, it I works.
1: I'm with you. I oh, was yeah. on a call with Meg this week. Meg is in the background listening to us. And she said, we're getting a wintry mix. And then she said, there's no two sadder words a wintry mix. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Okay, Marissa, so we're gonna talk about your book now. <laughs> I give anything is so astounding and beautiful. It is the word I kept thinking about when I was reading it was intimate. Mm-hmm. It was it felt really intimate. Like I was really peeking into these people's lives. I knew them. So I want you to give us your little elevator pitch or little summary of what the book's about before we start talking.
3: Um the book is about um, secrets that, um, have been buried for a long time, 20 years. Um, it goes back and forth in time between when the main character is in high school, um, is like 18 and it was a very, has this amazing group of friends, but there's this tragedy that strikes, um, and changes everything for her. And, she keeps a secret for 20 years and that secret she thinks she's like torn it out, burned it, it's gone, but it's not. Um, obviously that, that, that doesn't usually, uh, happen with secrets. (laughs) So she, um, and it interferes with her life and it sort of takes her away, not just from her friends, from family members, but also from the girl that she was, um, this sort of adventurous free spirited person who, um, Artistic and and puts her on a much safer path, or what she thinks is a much safer path. When we meet her, she's it's twenty years later, late thirties, and um, her supposedly safe life falls apart. And as it does, this old secret emerges, and it it really everyone has to reckon with it. You know, they all have to kind of um, uh, figure out you know, how do you live life when something that's been in the dark gets dragged out into the light? Um, so, so that's it, I guess, in a nutshell. Um, I'm really bad at nutshells, but I think what that is, is <laughs> we all are. That was a really good <laughs> nutshell. Yes, that you. was a really
1: good nutshell. <laughs> that well, was an award-winning <laughs> nutshell.
0: <laughs> well, Marissa, your first poet book was a poetry collection called from the Bones Out. And then you made your transition into novels with Love Walked In. And it was an amazing first novel. It literally burst onto the scene. And I think that was 2006. Mm-hmm. And it's the first of a series. Is it
3: four or five? I, I can't remember exactly uh, how many. It's going to be four. It's okay three right now. Oh, oh, it's three now. So it's going to be four is. Yeah. Um, the, the first two books I wrote were in that series. And there's a main character named Cornelia Brown. And then later, um, the book before this one was called I'll Be Your Blue Sky. And that has Cornelia in it. But the main character is a girl named Claire, who is 11 in my first book. And I think 14 at the very end of the second book belonged to me. So what was wonderful for me is that I got to find out who Claire grew up to be um, wow. and spend time in her company again, and um, and I didn't know if I ever would, you know, and mm-hmm. so getting to do that was a gift and now this book that I'm working on now has Cornelia as the main character um, and it's like a homecoming for me, you know, to be right. with these people again, and, um, and I'm the kind of writer who the characters become extremely real to me, extremely separate from me. Um, they're full-fledged people in my mind. So I miss them. You know, I finish writing and it's, um, you know, there's a part of you and I'm sure you all can relate. Like, you're just like, yes, I'm done. Um, but there's also grief. Like there's, it's a, it's a bittersweet yeah. kind of thing because I always miss my characters the second that book is off my desk. I I have a series, and I
0: I know exactly what you're saying. Is that you you know them as real people outside? But what I'm sort of curious about is, as a poet, you went into novels. What prompted that decision
3: to to transition? You know, it's funny. The the word decision is is um, I'm not sure applies so much here. I, I I was a poet. I think first, because I just love language. I think some writers come to novels or to writing through storytelling or through research or a love of history. You know, there are a lot of ways. I think I came to writing through just a deep love, natural love from as far back as I can remember with words, with language, what the music that they make almost separate from the meaning, um, the rhythm, I would fill black and white, you know, notebooks, composition books with just lists of words that I loved when I was a kid. I didn't keep a journal, really, but I, I just kept lists of words, proper names. Um, oh, and that. I, so poetry, because poetry foregrounds that aspect of language, the music of language, um, I think that was a, a first natural fit, but um Poetry, for me, always took this almost hyper-intense kind of concentration where I, um, you know, you can tinker with, like, four words for, you know, like, four days when you're writing poetry. And it's just this hyper-intense thing. And then I had babies, and um, they were really, really, um, in many ways, terrible babies. You know, people say good babies. Mine were the kind of babies that... Are the opposite of that. I mean, I adored them, but they never slept <laughs> all the time. Um, I actually like. I lived across the street from an apartment in Philadelphia where my kids were born in an apartment building that was a lot of elderly people. And these women would come and, and sit on the patio out there, and I would be in front of my house, sitting on my steps or pacing in front of trying to get my baby to stop screaming. And eventually, like a little group of them, you could tell they kind of discussed it. They came across the street to tell me, you know, we have—I have ten children and ninety-five grandchildren, and whatever. <laughs> that, these are the worst babies. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what, what happened, uh, I just didn't—I didn't have the concentration, that crazy concentration. We got it; just got more and more diluted. Um, as, you know, with these kids, (laughs) when was about a year old, um, this weird thing happened where I just started to hear this voice in my head Mm -hmm. um, that turned into my first-person narrator. But there was no story. I mean, it wasn't like I said, you know what? This poetry thing's not really working right now. I think I'm going to try a novel. Um, As a reader, novels were always my true love. I love being immersed in another world. I love characters. Um, But as a writer, you know, it had always been poetry, but I didn't decide. I just had this voice in my head that evolved into a character, not really a story, just a character. And then as I got to know her better, bits and pieces of her story emerged. And then this other character emerged, um, Claire, who was the second, the, the child character, Cornelia is the adult, and, um, and then, you know, I just said, you know, I'm going to write this down. I'm just going to sit down. No pressure. I'm not, you know, I'm not writing a novel. I never wrote things that were longer than like three pages because I was a poet, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and then I, um, at the end of like, at the end of the summer, I had maybe 60 pages or something like that. And I came down and made this huge announcement to my husband, like, okay, you know what? I think I'm writing a novel. And he said, "Well, okay. Well, I figured, you know, like <laughs> you are doing all this time, you know." But um, it just kind of crept up on me, and it, it just happened in this really organic way. I think if I had had to decide, I always would have run in the other direction. You know, I mean, I'm not I, in graduate school. If I had to write a ten page paper, I was in a complete blind panic because it just felt like too much language. So, um, and what I found, and then I never really looked back, you know, I never went back to writing poetry because fiction scratches that word itch too, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and you all know this, that like, there are, there are moments, there are probably paragraphs that I've written that felt like I was writing a poem because important, really important moments, like high energy, high emotion, it requires that kind of attention to language and that kind of like powerful or musical or whimsical or whatever it is, but the, that the focus is on there. So I didn't miss poetry. And my, all my poet friends are like howling right now. But I, I <laughs> personally, I love poetry. I want it to exist. I want other people to write it. But mm-hmm. I found it was, again, it was a homecoming um, to, to come to fiction. And so I just never looked back.
4: So your, your poet friends probably think you went to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Welcome. Welcome yeah, exactly. to the dark side. Oh oh oh
3: oh and it was funny because That's... I never, I haven't written a poem since I started writing Love Walked In. And then yeah. I have these two friends who aren't poets, but they're dear friends here in Wilmington. And and one of them told this story about stealing plums from a plum tree
4: mm-hmm. in down
3: the street from her. And um, during COVID and I, and then my friend Sherry said, you know what, you need to write a poem about that. And I mm-hmm. said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really write poems. And they're like, Oh, but you'll write this one <laughs> <laughs> commissioning it. So I wrote a poem for the first time in since 2000. Well, when I started, I guess it was like 2004. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was weird. And and then all my all my poet friends were like, oh, well, you're going to start writing poetry again. And I said, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a one off. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yes. really yeah. Um, yeah, I think we could put all those things, uh, things the pandemic made us do.
2: Yes. Uh, well,
4: <laughs> you know, um Marisa, you've been quoted as saying that your heroes were, among them are Louisa May Alcott and Lucy Maud Montgomery and Helen Keller and Joan of Arc and Clara Barton. That is a big, great assortment of powerful women. Now I get the appeal of Louisa May Alcott and Lucy Maud Montgomery, both of whom had beloved characters who wanted to be writers. But I wonder if you talk about the powerful women, the other powerful women who influenced your life and your decisions, um, to be a poet before you went to the dark side?
3: <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because those women, I mean, I'm a, I am ai was, when I was eight years old, I think I was Clara Barton um, for Halloween. So I would like, Aww. people would open Aww. their door and oh, say, nice. what are you, honey? And I'd say, I'm Clara Barton, founder of the American Red Cross. And um, Amazing. You know, <laughs> I was, um, I would, Joan of Arc, I was Florence Nightingale. Like No one ever knew who I was, but I knew. And that's, that's oh, a that is really touching costume that you know what you are. But, um, you know, I just loved, um, I, I think I just stumbled upon the right books at the right time. And I had librarians in my life who said, yeah. oh, this girl, she likes books about women who do offbeat groundbreaking things and then I'd get to the library and there'd just be a stack for me. Wow. And um and when I was a kid, I mean I feel like I read a lot as an adult when I it's nothing compared to when I was a kid. And okay. I just lived in books. I I I really I, I told tell my sister who remembers everything about our childhood, like I don't remember I don't remember that person. I don't remember this person who lived next door to us for 15 years, but I remember all of these characters in the books that I was, I felt like I was living in those books more. So I feel like Joan of Arc was my friend. I can't remember the name of the girl who lived like two houses down and I spent all my time with Joan of Arc um, was good. So I don't know. I mean, I just think, you know, I, I, but the, the writing I really came to because I just love to see what happened when you put words up against each other, and and you know it's 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 still what I love. And a lot of the books that I love are books where I can can point to sentences, you know, and and they have these sentences that I just want to hang on my wall forever, you know, because they're just so. Um, and so I don't feel I personally don't feel like I crossed over because I feel like all of the things that I loved about poetry right um, I still get to play with the words like that. I still get to do um, and when I write I kind of write like I write wrote poems, you know. I write a sentence, I play around with it until it's just the way I want it at least in that moment. And then the next sentence just kind of grows out of it. And then I play with that one. And, and if if there's something wrong with a paragraph, like if I look, I'm like, ugh, there's something wrong with this. The first thing I look at is rhythm. The second thing I look at is sound. So I will say something like, oh, of course this doesn't work because look at all those S sounds. It's like it's, it's, this paragraph is a snake. You know, it's just hissing. It's awful. Or, or it's so like... Clunky. It's just all these hard like D's and T's clomping along. So, and then I revise accordingly. Um, so, a lot of the process is the same. What's different and what's magical is being in the company of the characters, and that always feels like such an honor to me to, to hang out with characters. Um, poetry was much lonelier for me. Yeah. Um, so so i can
1: tell you that you have the framer hang your hat on it sentences all over this book there are there are there there's poetry all in it but you know part of the reason we started this show was to support independent bookstores and you chose one this week and i am going to butcher the name of it so i'm actually not even well i will hokesian
3: hokesem Hokesson okay.
1: oh. Books in Delaware. And all our listeners out there get 10% off on your books at at the bookstore this week. But Marissa, I want you to tell us why you chose this bookstore. What does this bookstore mean to you?
3: Um a lot of things first of all it's like one of the warmest places you'll ever walk into you know oh, I people walk in, the first time I walked in I felt like I walked it was my hundredth time walking in and people yeah. greet you they find out what you're looking for they find out what you like it's a it's a great meeting place not just for adults but for kids um, they have an amazing children's book section um, and and they just it's it's just a kind place, you know, like you walk in, you feel immediately like someone put their arms around you and said, come on, come in, come in. But you know, it's, um, and Rebecca who runs it is such a, a great friend to writers because she thinks of the coolest events. Um, events that aren't just standing at a podium talking, but like we've done book bingo, um, with my books we've done all just cool cool stuff she always has great like food pairings with your book and um and uses all sort of local vendors and and artisans for the food and it's just it's just one of those places that feels as you may be able to tell i'm just someone who loves things that i feel at home in and places and people and and that store is just that's the way it is. You walk in, it's, it's like a homecoming. So, um, I, I, I love it. It's tiny. It's a small wonder, like Delaware. That's our, one of our slogans, small wonder. And I feel like Hokeson Bookshelf is that also.
1: Well, thanks oh. for telling us about it. It's always better to hear it from you than to read, read some kind of blurb about it. So thank you.
2: It sure. sounds like such
5: a such a place, mm-hmm. and and you know, even just kind of the way you're painting it with your words, the way you paint everything with your words, makes me I want know. to come and, and embrace yeah. it and be there and yeah. experience it. Oh, come down there. I will. I will. <laughs> I, invitation accepted. We all want to come now. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Marisa, I wanted to ask you. We've been talking a lot about your poetry and and the way you sort of inject that poetry and that poetic background into your novels. There were so many just beautiful. Lines in this book, um, and, and they spoke so much of the deep love, the deep pain, the way we're all connected by that. And you know, I, I write a lot about family too, but I, I think I approach it from a plot first, words second perspective. So I kind of have the framework of the plot in place. I have the characters in place. I, I let the story pour out of me, and then I kind of go back in and brush up the words. I'm curious. I guess I'd just love to hear a little bit more about your process. I mean, are you, are you laboring over a paragraph a day? Are you, um, you know, does the music of it come to you first and then the plot
3: gets layered in? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, usually it starts with a character. And um, in this book, Ginny and her um, alter ego, her childhood self, Zinny, um Came to me first, and I and I sort of um, lived lived with her for a long time, and got to know her, and got a sense of her voice, which is extremely important. I think when I'm thinking about what a character will do, is like how they will talk, um, mm. and how they associate things and look at the world, and um, and put that into language. So the voice, her voice, was pretty, this is one of the first things that I had. Um, And that's often the way it goes. I live with characters, I know them, I know a lot of things about them that don't show up in the books um, because I feel like I have to in order to know what their story is. Um, So I do that and then bits and pieces of plot start to emerge. And when I first started writing, I would say for my first few books, I was flying by the seat of my pants. I was like, "Let's write the first sentence and then see what happens after that," you know. And and not, but not quite because I would have certain major plot points kind of in my head. Um, and then I wrote two books for kids with my husband, middle grade books, and we alternated. So I'd write the girl chapters, thirteen-year-old girl. He'd write the thirteen-year-old boy chapters. But in order to do that, we had to plot it out first, right? Because um, much more than I was used to plotting. And so we we would, we would wrote an outline um, for Saving Lucas Figs, which was the first book we wrote together. And it was also a complicated plot. I mean, there was time travel. If you want to make yourself completely insane, then write a book that has time travel and try to do <laughs> um, So we... we um, had it, we had to have an outline. And then what happened after that is I became addicted to outlines. So, oh. um, and what I loved about it was that it made me feel um, when I came to work, do my work for the day. It there was something in front of me apart from whatever the last sentence I wrote was. Yeah. And what I realized about outlines is that they're kind of illusory, right? Like you think I have this all planned out. I know exactly how it's going to go. But you also in the back of your mind know this is probably not really how it's going to go. But just having that in front of me um, was great. Uh, and I. so what I do now is I have the basic bare bones of the plot. And then I do a chapter by chapter outline and am able to completely fool myself while I'm writing the outline into thinking that this is exactly how it's all going (laughs) to go. And then um, I, and it's very reassuring. And then when I start writing, I write the way I described. I write a sentence. And it doesn't mean I don't go back later and change things. I have an editor. We all have editors who, who, you know, give us great advice. And so I do. But a lot of what I change is less the language um, and more – my editor is um, amazing and gives me advice like, you totally bailed out of this moment. Like, we need to stay in this moment longer. Or wow, That's good. I don't understand what happened here between, you know, the time she – got off the elevator and the time she was sitting on her couch, like what happened to time there? And I, I say, Oh, of course that makes, you know, it makes no sense. <laughs> um, I'm writing time travel when I don't mean to. So <laughs> I, I think that, um, it, but the, the language, I am so, um, weird about language and weird about my drafts and honestly, what you describe and what a lot of fiction writers, you know, I know do is they 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 bang out a draft? You know they know the plot. They get the story out there, and then they they think about these other concerns and they do, and it's and it works for them. And every time I write a book, including the book I'm writing now, I think you know I'm just going to do that. Like, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to bang it out. I'm going to get the story out there, and 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 it never happens. And then like you know I I, I think I'm going to do this, and then I look up and it's four hours have gone by and I've written a page and a half, and I'm still worried about, you know, that the sentences are too long in the middle of the paragraph. You know, it's just, um, at some point, I probably need to just accept it, but it doesn't make sense. Like, I I don't, I tell people sort of, ideally, you don't write a novel this way. You don't build a novel (laughs) sentence by sentence the way you build a poem, because you make yourself crazy for 400 pages, right, of manuscript pages. Um And so every time I think I'm not going to do that, and every time that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Um, but I love to hear when people say, oh, I put a placeholder in here, and then I moved on. And I think that is brilliant, and I want to do that. But I can't even tell you what the third sentence is until I've written the second sentence. So uh-huh. how do I know? Yeah. How to write this section, this dinner party scene? Because by the time I get there, that scene might not even exist anymore. You know, so how mm-hmm. do I? Right. Um, so it's a very um, one foot in front of the other, kind of like one sentence and the next sentence and the next sentence, and um, and so people will ask you, how many drafts do you do, and I say, you mean of like a sentence? <laughs> what are we talking about it here? Um, because that's how it feels. It just feels like rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. OK, I can leave this alone. And now I know what has to happen in the next sentence or the next paragraph.
5: But, you know, th- that's what makes you you. I mean, if you tried to write a book like I write my books, you wouldn't be writing like you anymore. So, I mean, you found the way that works. And that's beautiful. It's wonderful that you do it that way. Thank you. Yeah.
3: I and- should be peace with it. <laughs> yes, make peace with it. It's new and it's good. <laughs> well, and and so this
2: just brings me, I mean, I just have to know this because I have talked about this on the show before and I'm almost at this point again, so I, you can tell I'm like already stressed out about it, but I like really strongly dislike line edits because I am not a poet by any stretch of the imagination, but the way that the words sound on the page are very important to me and yeah. I, you know, read them out loud over and over again the way one sentence flows into the next, one paragraph flows into the next, the the rhythm of it. And it might not appeal to everyone, but it appeals to me. And So when these line edits come back, sometimes I'll be like, well, you changed that word and now I have to change like the next three pages. Like what? three pages now don't work because <laughs> that. So I'm wondering, like, do you even, do you get line edits? And if you do, do they make you crazy? <laughs>
3: Well, everything makes me crazy at first. Yeah. So I get all the notes and the editorial letter and I'm just like, this is all wrong. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, this is crazy. And, but then I settle in and I recognize <laughs> that, okay, I get it. Um, yeah, I do get some line edits. And sometimes it's things like, especially in the early books, because I had just been writing poetry and, um, my editor would say things to me like you really can't describe the tree outside the window mm-hmm. for four paragraphs. <laughs> like, you just, you know, mm-hmm. That's not, that's not moving the story along. <laughs> <laughs> but look at these sentences. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> so, <laughs> the sentences are so good. <laughs> beautiful. Save them you know, calm beautiful. Later. But, um, I, I do sometimes wreck, I mean, I have come to realize that you can't, um, Sometimes you just have to tell a story, right? And it has to, and, and, right. and you still need to, the sentences need to be right. But what makes them right is not necessarily that they're dazzling. It can be that they're clean and move quickly and get you from one point to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something I've had to learn. So sometimes my editor will say, we just need to dial back these, um, you know, these these analogies or we need to, we need to dial back um, on on the language here because it's it's drawing attention to itself thank you for but this isn't in. a moment when Join we want everyone, everyone to say oh something important's too, happening because they're really just
0: looking out the, airs airs out, the out, the out the window every Wednesday night so at 7 p.m. but yeah I I and please it's it's subscribe hard to our um and follow but I also Instagram. have
3: to say that I'm so glad you're here Good a lot night. of times when I do take advice and my and my first reader is my husband and he can be tough you know and he'll just say pretty 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 but you know not a lot happening here like we need to we need to find out what happens you you stop this at a point where we're dying to know what happens and then you start having you know <laughs> i love conversations so then i might have like them people talking to each other for like 20 pages, and he'll say, Yeah, but we need to know what happens. So um, it's usually, I think that that people are right, and I settle down and I listen. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to change those words that you've put together so painstakingly. Yeah.
2: And I mean, and I 100% need to be edited, like a million yeah. percent, but it's still, it just, you get that. I love that description because it's like mm-hmm. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, She's right. I know she's
3: right. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. I don't want her to be right. Yeah. Yeah. So true.
1: So it's so funny the way we all have these different ways of writing, whether it's outlining, not outlining, and I think it's so interesting to try and take a peek to see where it might have come from with all of us. So you're the child of a general surgeon, you say, from. Cebu, Kebu,
3: Cebu City? The Philippines, yes.
1: In the Philippines. And a nurse, I was a nurse, from Westminster, Maryland. Yep. So you grew up in Baltimore and Northern Virginia, but we love asking our guests this. I feel like it reveals so much about our writing life. What were your family's values around reading and writing when you were growing up? And how do you think that kind of shaped you into the poet and novelist that you are today?
3: Um. My parents were really different when it came to reading. My dad was one of those um, men who you buy him the big, like, Muhammad Ali biography, you um, or, you know, a, a book about politics or a book about history. And my mom was more like me. And, and it was one of those relationships, even when I was little, where she's handing me a book and saying, just stop what you're doing. Read this, you know. And, and we, there was – and she – um reading she really valued reading she valued writing um i think when i decided to be a poet my dad was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> i was curious yeah so, I mean, really, like quiet about it mm-hmm. um but my mom i think was like yes you know I, i'm so glad you're just going to spend your days playing with words cuz she could she got it um but what i remember as a kid is um, always having a book. And what I loved in my house was having a book while all this other stuff was happening around me. So I might be sitting at the kitchen table while my mom cooked, when my dad got home from work, when my little sister was like coloring on the floor And, and being in the book, but also around the people I loved and around a lot of bustle and activity Made me just feel so at peace, and like this is the way the universe should be. I should have a book, and there's all this stuff happening, and I can jump into it or not, but I am in the middle of this just human um, loving kind of activity. um but I'm this still center, and I've got my book, and you know, all is right with the world. so. Nice. I think that, um, and always since I can remember, I have had a, several books happening at once, like going at once. And, and the characters, the books I read as a kid, I still read. Um, and they are my, I guess, they're, I'm a huge insomniac. So my books are my middle of the night friends. Oh. And in the middle of the night, I can't read something that's too new or exciting. Mm-hmm. Or, so I read the books that I read when I was 10 um, and being and the familiarity of them and the, the friendships that I had with the characters when I was a kid come back to me. And it's just, uh, I felt, I feel like my family really fostered my ability to have a foot in both worlds, like always to have a foot in the world of fiction and words and the other foot, um, I mean, I wasn't a classic book. I had friends. I I did sports. I was a swimmer. You know, I did all this stuff. But I, um, I kind of got to live, walk that line between fiction, which was very real to me, and reality. And everyone gave me permission to do that. So that's why that was that was good. That was good for me. It's what I it's what I needed.
1: And I think that's what we're still doing, all six of us sitting here, right? We're yeah. straddling this fiction world and this real world. And sometimes we fall off that balance beam, for yeah. sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, one of our favorite parts of the weekly show is hearing a writing tip from our guests and We're going to pretend it's for our viewers, but all five of us have our ears bent to the screen. So we'd love to hear. I mean, you've given us so many already tonight. I'm I'm trying not to take notes. I'm going to go back and watch the show. But
3: could you give us a writing tip? Well, I think the thing that I've had to learn, and I sort of have to learn over and over again, so it's my writing tip to myself repeatedly, is that... Above all, I have to listen to my characters. That, you know, I have this sense, everyone thinks a writer just makes up, makes stuff up, and it all comes through them and they get to do what they want, right? You author, an author is an authority on what happens, and they get to call the shots. But what I found is that when I'm trying to manipulate things, when I'm trying to make characters do what I planned for them to do, for example. Um, I'm at my weakest as a writer and that a big oh, my great job is to kind of pull back and listen to my characters. There's a moment, for instance, in I give anything where um, the main character goes to the house of this man who she is starting a relationship with. And I thought what was going to happen is that she was going to ask him this really hard question and um cuz she needed the answer and she was going to be brave and she was going to ask him and she was just going to live with the consequences of whatever he said um and when she got there she gets to his house and she sees his daughter's hairbands around the doorknobs and she sees you know his his do- a dog bed in every room of his house and she um his all the pictures of his of his kid all over his bulletin boards, and she recognizes like I know this man, and I don't have to ask him this, so she doesn't ask him. but I yeah. loved that scene.
1: That was a powerful scene, it was You're right, so, so great. Powerful. It was so yeah. great. Mm-hmm.
3: It was hard though because then I had to change everything that happened afterwards. <laughs> what I yeah. thought they were going to have a fight and then they didn't have a fight because she didn't ask this question. And then I thought, well, okay, wait, 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 you know, you guys need to fight because I have a whole plan based on that. <laughs> <laughs> and and they didn't. And when I tried to force them to fight, it was just not right. You know, when you mm-hmm. write something and you're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is what needs to happen, but it's not the right thing. So yeah. what I would say is, trust your characters sometimes even more than you trust yourself and your plan, because once you put them, bring them to life and put them in motion, um, you have to trust them and you have to listen to them. So sometimes relinquishing control um, is what will yield the best, your best work. Um, Even though like me, I like to control, I'd love to, I'd love to rule the world and control everything, but as a writer, you can't. You need to let them rule their world. Um, so that's my tip. And I have thank to remind you. myself of that pretty much every day. So. <laughs> thank you.
1: Great, thank you. That's such a great tip. And. We, Especially if we make an outline, we're like, I took the time to make that outline, and they're going to get in that fight.
0: (laughs) I I boss my characters around quite a bit, though. Sometimes I say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, get back on that roadmap (laughs) and start (laughs) driving.
3: I know. I I, I get pretty strict with my character. <laughs>
4: <laughs> She's got her roller out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Listen,
1: Missy, so we keep talking about how much we love your book. Tell us a book you recommend or just love right now, something you're loving.
3: Well, the sad thing about this um, whole year has been that when I've had abundant time to read, I've had so much trouble reading. And usually, I am not a fast reader. Always because I like to take my time. But I am prolific. I'm always. I'm reading four books at a time. I'm. Blah, blah, blah. I've struggled so much, and I think there's just in out the outside world, the world outside my house, and in my imagination, and my you know it is has been pretty chaotic, as we all know, um, on a, in a lot of different ways. Um, and I have had so much trouble reading. So the books that I have been able to read and become immersed in are really precious to me this year. And one of the ones that really I, I read straight through and savored every second was one called Anxious People, um, by yes. Frederick Bachman, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and i just i it was if a book can be kind this was a kind book i just mm-hmm. felt like this is what we need this is a bomb you know this is a b l b a l m not b o m b it was just it just it wasn't just soothing though i mean it was funny it was hard to read at points it was sad Um, it was entirely, uh, it was character driven, but it also had something that I love personally in a book in, um, I love mysteries. I love murder mysteries. Um, and I, and I think that all writers maybe can learn from murder mysteries because of how intricately they're plotted. And I, and even though I talk about character and I talk about language, I love plot. You know, I'm not usually a person who loves these gorgeous books, that are nothing happens in or not a lot. I love when stuff happens. And I love mysteries. And what I felt about this book is that it was plotted and put together like a mystery. Even though it wasn't strictly a mystery. And so that really just kept me reading. You know, I wanted to know what happened to these people. I and I loved all their backstories and it was funny, it was beautifully written but mostly it had the kind of heart that I needed to touch. Like I needed to be in touch with that kind of generous soul um, in this time of like craziness. So Mm -hmm. I can't recommend that book highly enough. I I loved it. Um, I had never read a book by him. So then I had to go back and read others, but that one, um, to me just radiant. I just loved it.
1: Oh, thanks for telling us. I think a couple of us have read it, but I haven't, but it is on my list. So thank you. Okay, we have a few announcements, but everybody out there stay with us because you don't want to miss the final question we have from Marissa from one of our viewers and readers. It's a good one.
0: Well, I'm excited to host next week's episode on February 3rd with Anne Napolitano. And her book, Dear Edward, was a big buzz book when it came out. It was on... The Today Show is Jenna Pick, and the whole literary world was talking about it. So it's, that's next week. And check out the Friends in Fiction winter schedule. We're having some amazing guests, and including Patty's exciting launch for Surviving Savannah, which we're going to celebrate. We're very excited.
4: And I need no- And I need to remind you that this week's bookstore is Hawkeisen Book in Delaware as our featured independent bookseller of the week. And you get 10% off this week on Marisa's i Give Anything and I'll Be Your Blue Sky, as well as on recent and upcoming books by the five of us. The featured books are already marked down 10% in their bookshop.org shop. So hop on over there and add some books to your cart.
5: We are also so excited about adding some additional podcast content soon. So Patty and I just had the opportunity to talk to Michael Ferris Smith, who wrote Nick, and Rachel Hawkins, who wrote The Wife Upstairs. And I'm telling you, it was such a good conversation with both of them. Um, So that podcast should be live any day now. We're so excited about it. And we have some other great stuff coming down the pipeline, too. So you can find that link under Announcements on the Facebook page. And also, we wanted to remind you, don't forget to join the Friends in Fiction official book club um this month they're actually reading the winemaker's wife which was my 2019 novel so i'm popping in regularly to talk about it and answer questions we'll be meeting about it on february 15th and it's just a great book it's run by brenda gardner and lisa Harrison, two of our members and you can find that link under announcements too it's a really active great group
2: And I just wanted to say thank you again to Mama Geraldine's, our amazing sponsor, and just remind everyone to head over to their website and use the code FAB5 to get 20% off of all your online orders. It's a perfect time to stock up and, as they say, snack on, (laughs) y'all.
1: All right, Marissa, one more question. This came from one of our viewers named Natalie Fairchild. And she said, in a previous interview, you stated that you reconnected with Philippines, the Philippines, later in your life. Your dad was from the Philippines. Have you ever thought about writing some type of historical fiction novel about events that took place there? I want to know, too. It's not uh, just Natalie.
3: Well, I have the Philippines in a book. Um, I, I And it was really, it felt um like such an honor uh, There's is uh, my book falling together the characters i didn't even know this when i started working on it but they ended up in the philippines and um i loved every second of trying to do justice to this place that um my father was from that i had only visited um but you know, describing the fruit stands and the the, the the way the street smelled, and you know, the 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 fighting cocks running around people's yard. And you know, it was just a privilege to do that. I, I loved it. Um, the thing about historical fiction is that I am not someone. I know writers who have to stop themselves eventually from doing research because they just love research. And for my books. Um, I find that I I just do enough research to make sure I don't get anything glaringly wrong. So if I'm writing about um, the sixties, I'm writing about now I've written about the fifties and I just want to make sure I don't have something totally anachronistic or um, something that someone's going to read and say, okay, she just totally lost me. No credibility because you know whatever it was wasn't even invented at this time so but i don't love research so i i would love to i love to read historical fiction but i can't envision myself doing that because um i just don't it's not the thing i love about writing you know the thing i love about writing isn't research and i find that my friends who write historical fiction they get lost in that the way I get lost in, you know, developing a character. They get lost in that too. But they, you know, they, they, and I just, I don't, as of yet. I mean, maybe I, maybe I will fall in love with it. I'd love that. But right now, I'm just not sure that that is something that I'd be good at because I think you have to be passionate about the research part to be really write good historical fiction. So, Well, (laughs)
1: research rabbit holes are places that Kristen and I and Christy a little bit too have
3: completely (laughs) disappeared (laughs) into,
1: and and then we wonder why the book is late because we went looking for the name of a 1942 food and ended up, you know, six hours later. Um, Marissa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for talking about poetry and where your stories begin. And I love the way you describe how... You like how words rub up against other words. Um, It has been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming.
3: Well, it's been pure joy for me. Uh, Thank you all. And um, I'm so like jealous that you guys get to hang out together virtually all the
4: time. We <laughs> <laughs> do. It's it's really fun
3: and on a never-ending text string too. So <laughs> never-ending.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Your
1: number. We'll text you, and then you'll be like, "I'm done with them.
3: I'm done with them."
1: <laughs> them. <laughs> you yeah. you? Run out or stay put and click on and Books and buy. I'd give anything, preferably a signed copy. Join Friends in Fiction on our Facebook page on our website. Give our podcast a listen. And don't forget, we're on Instagram, too. And thanks for joining us. That Thank is you, all. all right. thanks, good night, everybody.
0: Good night. Thanks, Bye, Marisa. Marisa.
1: Thank you. Oh, my gosh. She's she amazing. Is so
0: What's so great. cute that she wants to hang out with us. And I, I was actually thinking, you know, I, I really just want to have a glass of wine and just put my hair down and talk <laughs> yeah. to her because she has... She just keeps yeah. it going. She yeah. really has so much to say. Yeah. She does. Yeah, she's amazing. She's, it was such a different
5: way of thinking about writing a book. I love it. I mm-hmm. mean, and yeah. and it shines through in her work. Yeah. Just that beauty with the words. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. That's why I love that question. I'm glad we snuck it in there um, about your childhood because she approaches <laughs> yeah. words and stories so differently than yeah. we do. I, I
0: gone- mean, my- Go ahead,
4: Kathy. I was dying to ask her about the books on her nightstand because she's an insomniac and she says she keeps her childhood (laughs) books on her nightstand. So I'm I'm dying to know maybe we should ask her to take a picture. (gasps) <gasps> oh really I'd love, love to know what she's reaching for in the middle of an night.
2: You know, that was such like a light bulb moment for me too, because I'm writing a 15 year old right now. And I haven't, I've, I haven't done that. Like from the voice of a protagonist before. And I was just thinking about, you know, really tapping back into that. And it's like, duh, I should be reading I'm the reading books that, that I read yeah, when I does was help a lot. teenager.
0: Yeah, it really does. When I was to work with the middle grade, I was To read a lot of that fiction, that voice, very, very different. And it will help you a lot, Christy. I think my favorite moment was when she said, and I really got it, how she was a part of the family while they were all reading, and she yet was in her book. I mean, and I love that when everyone's sitting in a room reading. And you know everyone's in their own world, but you're not alone. I thought that you know, was really precious.
5: You know what I was thinking when she said that. I'm glad you brought that up, Mary Alice. I was thinking the books, the melody, and everything going on in the background is the harmony, and they have to work yeah. together yeah. to like to to make that reading experience what it was. I I love that idea too. I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: I, Meanwhile, you know, my family was just going, Patty, get your nose out of that book. <laughs> yeah, get your nose light out of that off. book. Exactly. Patty, join us here in the real world. And I'm like, right, same, you're so same. much more interesting than Nancy Drew. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm not joining you. <laughs> That was like
2: another one of those light bulb moments for me, we have a lot of construction going on in my house and it is like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like it's so loud in my house all the time, but I, people walk in my house and they're like, how are you sitting here writing in this? And I'm like, in what? I don't even, and I really think it's because like being a kid, I would read all the time with everything going on that it's like translated into my adulthood or something.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right.
0: That and your noise silences. I'm sure you're sitting there with the p- a <laughs> No, I don't have anything on. Like,
2: I'm just sitting I'm in my dining room like, blah, blah,
4: blah. <laughs> I, you know, I used to write. I wrote for years in a newsroom. I mean, I was writing newspaper stories. Yes. But, you know, and that was back. I started in the day when there were you. You know, you were in a room full of um, people with selectric, IBM's electric typewriters. In my first job, I sat right in front of the at the Savannah Morning News. I sat right in front of the wire room, where all the um, the news wire machines were. So you would hear them clattering um, all night long, and then when a big story came across, the the bells would ring, um, and so and you heard people on the phone. And I just got so so used to it. Um, so I can write when there's stuff going on around me. Um, I, I just sort of, I sort of tune them out, but you know, when I think when I really have to get down to it where it's just me in the world of the book yeah. and I need just, I just yeah. need, to, I need to be in that world and my head needs to be in that world. Then that's when I have to run away. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: My unfortunate thing is that I really, really like to do that at like, 2 a.m. and that does not <laughs> for a functional life make. No,
0: <laughs> no it doesn't, it just,
2: it especially, especially a with the little one. Yeah, I mean, Lena, yeah. it's just an unfortunate reality that that cannot happen so much.
1: Well, we <laughs> can't know. get too precious about our alone time. Like, oh, I can't write unless I have yeah. these seven yeah. things around me, <laughs> or we That's never that get it ever it it happen. Especially
2: <laughs> not during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> all right. Speaking of things around me, I have to go. Oh, so nice. Oh, that was so fun. It was so great. I good job, Patty. A Actually, guy. I had great hosting.
4: Sorry. I think
0: they should invite Bachman. I, I want that book is really a good book that she it was a good to. book. I loved yeah. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Good night, everyone. See you next I'm week. Not a one- You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye!
4: Produced by Vita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.